The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. Welcome to the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. Today we welcome guest Gary Hendrickson of the Welding Artisan Center. Gary, it's great to have you on the show. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Gary, tell us about the Welding Artisan Center. The Welding Artisan Center is a new social venture that we're planning to launch in Detroit before the end of this year. So to give a bit of context, we're, Detroit is sort of the poster child of troubled cities. You know, we, we just came through a well-publicized uh, municipal bankruptcy, the largest in the history of the country. Uh, behind that, we have uh, 35% of black males that are living below the federal poverty level. And the jobless rate in Detroit is about 50%. Now, that's to be distinguished from the unemployment rate of 7.4%. I'm just giving these facts and figures because it sets the stage for uh, the social need. And with that jobless rate, it coexists at the same time that there are thousands of skilled trade jobs that are not being filled in Detroit. We're bringing in workers from neighboring communities and even neighboring states to fill those jobs. And among that group of jobs, about 750 of those jobs skill trade or jobs that at least require some welding skill. So, you know, this the question of how do you have all this unemployment and then this high job demand, the, the reason for this disconnect is that the Detroiters that are seeking those jobs, they just don't have access to the training for the skills needed to fill them. And that's what the Welding Artisan Center is all about, uh, giving the training and equipping these Detroiters with marketable skills so that they can go into the labor force earning a rate of 12 to $15 an hour and uh, and other opportunities besides just getting a starting wage. So that's kind of, you know, that's what the Welding Artisan Center is all about. Gary, when you and I first started talking, I was really just taken aback by some of those statistics. You really had my attention. I came out of, you know, the investment world and Often new businesses, new concepts, especially social businesses, don't tend to have that type of statistical demand. And it really opened up my eyes and many others <laughs> in the area about what's really happening. So mm-hmm. you have this opposite end. We just we have a big demand for that type of skilled labor, but no training. Right. The training that is available are in the community colleges and the union apprenticeships. So it isn't that there is no training. It's that the access to training for people that have kind of fallen out of the system, they don't have a GED or a high school diploma to go to a community college. They have no interest in joining a labor union. So those training avenues just aren't available to them. And it's it's the alternative training, if you want to look at it that way, to kind of reach this uh, disadvantaged population that can't get to the traditional training. Now, let's back up for just a minute. I know your partner, Don Martin, is not able to be with us here today. Uh, would you mind giving us a little bit of his background and uh, how you guys came up with this idea? Sure. Don, actually today he is in Chicago and he is serving as a subject matter expert on welding uh, at the Laborers Training and Apprenticeship Institute, uh, convening a meeting in Chicago for the uh, International Association. And his, I mean, he's the reason he was called upon to, to serve this role is because he has 35 years of welding experience, and about 15 of those years have been in training. So he not only has the science and technology of the skill, but he has this heart 
that just loves taking an underdeveloped person, giving them attention, and seeing them thrive by having that individual focus. So his, I've learned over the you know past three years that we have been working steadily to move toward this uh, launch, that uh, his passion and dedication and experience just kind of unmatched. It's been kind of blown me away. He is He's a remarkable person and an awesome partner in the social venture. And you bring all of the wonderful business expertise and strategic planning expertise to the partnership. That is correct. You couldn't have said it better. <laughs> and uh, Gary, you're, you're well-spoken. You tell the story well, which is one of the reasons I am enjoying interviewing you right now. Gary, will you take me through some of the business element uh, or the enterprise element of this social enterprise? What are your products and services, that sort of thing? What the center will consist of will be uh, the training element first, which will be about 20 welding stations where uh, that many students, and the the reason it's 20 is because that's the right ratio of of instructor to student. So if you can imagine a a warehouse-type setting of, of 20 stations, And then adjacent to that, we will have what we're calling an innovation gallery where we can actually show off the designs and the works and the hand weldments that the the artisans are producing in this innovation gallery because the inspiration part of this is, is a huge distinguishing factor for us. And then the third component is going to be a fabricating shop where we can actually transition the artisan from once they graduate from their training they have to have a little bit of experience oftentimes to go into that workforce. So we can transition them right into a fabricating shop that's affiliated with the training center, job experience, making it more realistic for the person to land a really good paying job. So those are the three components, the training, the gallery, and the fabricating shop that that we think is just a really potent combination to break through this skills trade gap is, is what it's called. One of the things I love about what you just described is the student or the participation uh, experience there sets a level of hope because they can see all of the different possibilities that you can do with welding. They can see very artistic and innovation, sculptural type work, but yet they can see all of the possibilities moving into what we typically think of in welding in the commercial type welding, the industrial type, it exposes them very early on to what all the possibilities are. Well, that's a great point. And I think think of an example that's really fitting here. Detroit is a city that's becoming more bike friendly. So we are putting new stripes on the streets to make way for bikes. The businesses and residential areas are accommodating a, a more bike friendly environment. Now, you turn that challenge over to these artisans that are students learning the welding trade, say, okay, why don't you design a bike rack that we can manufacture, it's hand welded, we can sell it to the city of Detroit, and based on the success, then we can export that product to other states, other cities. It can even be a a global export to other communities that are becoming bike friendly. So there's a trend that we can capitalize on. And like you said, it's not the old factory job in a dark place with your helmet and gloves and and working. You know, I, I picture the old assembly line work, which just doesn't exist anymore. Yet there's still that perception. And instead, it's a it's a wide open, innovative space where 
Handmade products are still in high demand. And you're right, that inspiration, that can lead them to becoming uh, maybe a nuclear welder, an underwater welder. I mean, all kinds of things beside the old dark factory uh, image. And it's putting some credibility to this maker environment that it's okay to do something with your hands. Sometimes I think we culturally went off to worship only intellectual uh, abilities. You know, there is skills trade that's critical for our ecosystem and that there's a whole population that's really designed and created to fit perfectly in that space and not to be diminished, not to be minimized because it's a wonderful building block for the overall ecosystem, especially in a place like Detroit. Gary, would you mind telling me a little bit more about this maker environment? You and I have uh, talked about the definition, but I always love it when you explain it. Well, the maker environment really is just is is very much what you said. It's this uh, it's this whole new sort of trend of appealing to people that like to tinker with mechanical things, that like to design things that may or may not have functional utility, and then actually blending some of those things together, where you might have a team of makers that get together where one of them is into the mechanical, one's into the design, one's into the functional utility, that, uh, you know, it becomes just like its own little science experiment, and you don't need to have huge investment dollars. There are maker fairs. There's one here in Detroit at uh, at the Henry Ford uh, and Greenfield Village every year. And it just it's explosive growth. You see the wildest things that people are coming up with. We think that's so important because in Detroit, the reason we have a high high school dropout rate, you know, as you said, not everybody is going to go on to college. And a lot of times kids don't even finish high school because they're not going to go to college. And that's where we really drop the ball. You know, the, the assertion that a bachelor's degree is the only way to break the cycle of poverty, think of the pressure that puts on a young person in Detroit who just has no desire to continue traditional education. There's nothing wrong with the college track. It's awesome, but it, it is not for everybody. And so, as you said, we, we need to lift the dignity and treat those students that choose not to go into college, give them an avenue and treat them with the same dignity you would treat a student moving on to get their bachelor's degree. We just need to level the playing field. Well said. Well said. One of my favorite things in the, about you in the short time I've known you and Don, for this matter of fact, you seem to look right into the eyes of the young person and see their potential and speak directly to that. And as I think about you and Don, it's probably going to be one of the many things, one of the many uh, sort of tunnels that you create for the youth to be empowered. So while we're on that, what are the grand plans? If you could paint us a picture, what's the grand plans for the Welding Artisan Center? I would say the vision that Don and I both share is that over time, we would have a center that's graduating artisans and having a very high uh, rate of job retention because of the quality of the soft skills that kind of go with the technical skill. And then in addition to supplying good labor, this entrepreneurial fostering that we want to do and, and help young people set up their own new businesses as they become successful and have them in a position where they can give back to the Artisan Center and provide scholarships for the tuition and the training costs for the next batch of young people that don't have the money to pay for their training. They don't have access, but, you know, kind of like uh, pay it forward or whatever it's called, the idea of a give back and having successful people 
knowing where their, you know, who, who it was that gave them a chance, where did they get their chance? That's like the most natural motivator for giving back. So our big picture would be seeing these entrepreneurs flourish. Hopefully there would be millionaires coming out of the Artisan Center that we become self-sustaining in our funding, don't need the state and the Department of Labor, the Department of Education, the workforce development, you know, get to a place where we don't need that annual infusion of training dollars from the government, but rather from the industry that actually comes out of the center. That would be our big picture win at the end of the of the day. And it's a great idea to set that stage now, the tone and the feel and really the culture of the organization itself. I heard a funny uh, quote the other day, and I'm not sure who originally coined it, but the phrase was, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. And as I thought about that over the last several days, it one, makes me laugh, and two, really points out a laser focus on, on culture to keep in mind when we're scaling or how we're setting the tone. It really makes all the difference. And right now you're setting everything up for a culture of hope, of this pay it forward, as you said, this dignity, rising the tide for all in, in Metro Detroit. It's exciting. Now, I know from talking to you just about a week or so ago that you're a finalist in a challenge. Tell me more about that. Well, there is a, a program uh, that's called a Black Male Achievement Fellowship, and it's relevant to our project because in Detroit, the uh, it's a majority population is black. We also have a huge Hispanic population. So for us to take advantage of other global interests that are trying to uh, improve the life outcomes of young black men in America. This fellowship is set up. There were 3,000 entries from around the world. Uh, the semifinalist that we just learned about a week ago uh, is down to 400. So it's the top 14% of social venture ideas throughout the world. And then in a couple of months, we will learn if we make the next cut to 100. Then we have personal interviews, it gets down to 20. And boy, if we could have the Welding Artisan Center be uh, one of taking one of the final slots on that, it would just help us kind of in the whole network of other social ventures that have synergy and the same passions and interests that we have. So it's an exciting process. And I'm I, just to be a semifinalist is exciting. I sound like a beauty contest contestant or something. <laughs> Just to be nominated. <laughs> What's the name of the organization? Uh, Echoing Green is the organization in New York City, and the name of the fellowship is the Black Male Achievement Fellowship. And it's part of the bigger picture called the Institute for Black Male Achievement, which really focuses on so many issues that are related to what we're trying to do in Detroit. Gary, we want to keep following your story here on this podcast show. For now, uh, why don't you tell me how everyone can reach you? The best way to reach me is I'm going to give a phone number, 248-538-7810, and our website, which is WeldingArtisanCenter.com. And Rami will be talking to Gary Hendrickson of the Welding Artisan Center at WeldingArtisanCenter.com on the next The Bonfires, a social enterprise podcast with Ronnie Gingrass of Gingrass Global. Music by Dan Castle and Thomas Rojo. Portions of this podcast have been provided by Rami Jingress, copywritten 2015 Jingress Global LLC, and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingress Global LLC.